the one holy son of God. Lord God, I just ask uh, that you will be with us today, that you will, um, Lord, that whatever it is that the words that you have come out of my mouth, they will honor and glorify you. And, and anyone here, Lord, that, that needs to hear you, that needs to hear you today for the first time, that needs to hear you in a new way, Lord, I just ask that they will hear you, they will see you, and they will know you, Lord. And I just ask it in your son's holy name. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray, amen. I'm getting a little bit of reverb on the uh, mic. There's Hello, hello, check, check. Now, I, can you guys still hear me? Okay, that's better. Thank you. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Sorry, logistics, got to get all that squared away, right? Um, yeah, so welcome, welcome uh, those of you, well, welcome Mercy Hill, welcome all of you who are familiar faces, welcome to those of you who are guests, um, very quick, I'm not going to make it long, short introduction um, if, if I haven't got to meet you yet. Uh, my name is Brad Furkowski, I'm one of the pastoral interns here, um, and I, I get the honor at times, um, every so often, to get to bring the word of God to you, and today is one of those days. I wanted to just pause for a moment and... Uh, the, the second song that Anthony led us in there, um, and I may butcher, I tried to write this down really quick because I don't know, <laughs> I'm not good with, um, what, what is it, lyrics? You can ask my wife that, I make up my own, and she, she enjoys that when I do that. Um, so I tried to write down the lyrics really quick as Anthony was singing it, and, and it was the holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Emotional. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. What a great song choice and it echoes the message of today. So we'll go ahead and dive in. Um, if you guys uh, attend here frequently or if you've listened to any of the podcasts or if you've followed along with uh, the videos we've been posting on YouTube, you know that we're opening up the year. Uh, a four-part series on discipleship and what it means to be a disciple. So two weeks ago, um, we learned that disciples, that disciples learn. And that was, that was what we learned about that week. And then last week, we learned that disciples pray. And today, we learned that disciples forgive. Uh, the primary text that I'm going to be working from today is found in the book of Matthew. So if you want to open up your Bibles, your electronic devices, however you follow along, um, we're going to be in chapter 18. So in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 35. Give you a moment to open there, and then we will read through it together. Again, that's Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, 
and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray once more. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give it to us, that you allow us to be shaped by it, that you allow us to draw near to you through it, Lord. I just ask that, again, that eyes will be open and ears will hear your word today, that we will be shaped by it, that we will be shaped to look more like your son, day after day, minute after minute, second after second, Lord God. I just ask it again in your son's holy name. In Jesus Christ's holy name, I pray. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, we're kind of working through this series, right? And, and, so, and so the last two weeks when we talked about disciples are learners, disciples, disciples pray, it was, very, it was very much on that vertical parallel. We were, we were kind of looking up toward God, right? Where we learn from his word, we learn from him, and then we also pray to him, right? So we were on that vertical plane. Today, today we kind of focus a little bit more on that horizontal plane. That, and we say that disciples forgive. That's what we're going to be discussing today. And how disciples forgive others. Um, yet, we are unable to do that without the vertical relationship that we do have with him. And, and we'll address that as we go on. But, but first, I, I think it's important um, to define terms. So at the beginning of our text, we see Peter. And Peter's asking Jesus, he asks him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So I guess the first question we should ask is, what does it mean to forgive someone? And I, and I just thought it would be wise that perhaps I should start by telling you what it doesn't mean. Forgiveness is not the approval of someone's sinful actions against you. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean that the person's actions or behaviors toward you were acceptable. Forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation, although uh, if we are dealing with Christian brothers and sisters, that should be the goal, if possible. Forgiveness does not mean that you put yourself or someone you love back into an unhealthy or dangerous situation. Forgiveness does not mean that we don't pursue justice through the proper channels on this side of eternity. I think it's important to establish that foundation because sometimes people get a skewed view of what it means to forgive. But with all that said, what does biblical, 
Christ-like forgiveness look like? The term that is translated in our text today as forgive is the Greek word afiemi. Afiemi, which means to leave, to let loose, to let fall, to let go. So what is it that we are to leave, to let loose, to let fall, to let go? I turn to the book of Ephesians to fully understand what it is that we are to let go of. And you can turn there with me if you'd like, but you, you don't have to. It's, we're going to be looking here, and we will look later on again, so you may want to turn there and maybe just keep a, a finger there in Ephesians for, uh, chapter 4. Right now we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 32. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. And Paul writes this. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So what is it that we are to let go of? He gives us a list there. We are to let go of bitterness. We are to let go of wrath. We are to let go of anger and clamor, which is just a fancy word for screaming and shouting. We are to let go of slander, which is making false, malicious statements about someone, and and malice. We are to let go of malice or the desire to want to hurt someone. Have you ever been with a friend or family member when someone they had a falling out with is brought up in conversation? Or have you ever been somewhere with a friend or a family member when someone they've had a falling out with enters maybe the room or the restaurant or the store that you're in? Whether it be in conversation or physical proximity, you often notice that your family member or your friend changes physically when that happens. You can actually see it with your eyes. You can see a physical change when this person's name is brought up or that person walks into the room or to the store or wherever it may be. You can see their face change. You can see their body tense. Perhaps their voice even changes. Maybe it squeaks. Maybe they get quiet. Maybe they try to avoid contact with that person. And even if they do have contact with that person, maybe they're very short with them. But you notice it. You can tell that whatever has come between your family member or your friend and that person has a hold on them. And perhaps justifiably so, depending on the circumstance. But this is not only what God wants us to let go of. It's also what he wants us to be free of. I'm reminded of a time I went on a men's retreat with a church I was at. And when we were there, uh, one of the activities they had us do was to go on a rope course. And um, if you ever get to know me, you'll find out if we have a conversation that has to do with heights. I don't I'm not a big fan of heights. I don't, I don't like being much higher than the ground, right? It's like <laughs> flying, all of that's a little, a little stressful. But 
But anyway, so I, I thought to myself, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone, and I'm, I'm going to go on this rope course. And, I mean, it was, it was up there. I, I don't quite know how high it was, but it was high. And so I was already a little tense about this, stressed out, tight, you know. I had, I had anxiety <laughs> overcoming me. And they, and they teach you, they give you this harness. They put you in this harness because they, they want to keep you safe, right? And you got the helmet on. They give you this harness, and they're telling you, they're fastening it, you're fastening it. Every time you change from one station to the next, you're unfastening it and you're refastening it. So you <laughs> are responsible for your own safety, right? So that, on top of the fact that I don't, I'm not big on heights, now I'm like trusting this harness, right? I, I mean, I don't know what the safety protocols are here with the testing the harness before I'm in it, and here I am in this harness, right? So the whole time, I'm, my, my body is so tense the whole time I'm with this, my forearms are as tight as they could possibly be, and every muscle in my body is cringed. And I come to the second to last obstacle, and there's a rope on the bottom, and there's a rope on the top, and you got to shimmy your way across it. And I remember get on there, and I'm attaching my safety harness, and I start going across. My forearms were so tight that my grip let go. And I fell. And I fell back, and the harness catches me. And believe it or not, for that, for that moment, there was a sense of relief. And all the muscle tension, everything physically that was happening with me, mentally, emotionally, was relieved. Now you're thinking, well, were you stuck up there? No, I mean, luckily, I kind of regained myself, used the harness, got up, and I was able to finish, right? Got to the last one. And that is an example of what God wants us to do and what he desires us to do, to let go. He speaks of forgiveness to let go, to let go of the bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the clamoring, slandering, and desire of vengeance, to be able to finish the course not the obstacle course, but this course that we call life. There's a reason why he expects it from us and expects it of us. And not only expects it of us, but he requires it of us. We go back to our text, and again we read how Peter asked Christ, how many times do we forgive? As many as seven times? Peter thought, <laughs> Peter thought he was being gracious with seven times because the teaching of the rabbis at the time instructed that three times was the proper amount to forgive. So, so Peter doubled that, and then he added one for good measure, so he kind of put the cherry on top, right? Seven times, God, Lord, Christ, Jesus, should, I, should we forgive seven times? And Jesus replies, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations have it as 70 times, seven times. So quick, do the math. 70 times seven, what do we got? 490? 490 times, right? That's just the beginning of the math, by the way. We're going to hit some more math here in a little bit, so be prepared. So does Jesus mean that, that you and I keep tabs on who we forgive? And when you hit that number, that number 78, because let's face it, we're, none of us are doing that high number. We're going to 
we're going to stick to that low one. It's much easier to achieve in our mind, right, in the human mind. When you hit that number, that magic number 78, well, now we just stop forgiving because we hit 78. Good old number 78. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He provides a parable to further explain how his disciples are to forgive. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And I know many of you are probably like, what is this 10,000 talent things? Hopefully, uh, some of you have a study Bible and it can kind of clarify some of that, but I'm going to clarify it for you too. 1,000 talents. Here we go. We're going to go to the math again. You guys ready? 1,000 talents amounts to about 20 years of wages. And this particular servant owed him 10,000. So if 1,000 talents equals 20 years of wages, how many do 10,000? 200 years of wages. 200 years of wages is what he owed the king. 200 years of debt. It was an insurmountable amount. Is he even going to live? Is he going to live to be 200 <laughs> to pay that off? It was insurmountable. So he could not possibly pay it. So what do we see the king do? He ordered that the servant and his wife and his children be sold as bondservants, as well as all their belongings so that a payment would be made. And how did the servant react? He reacted probably in a way that we can identify with, right? He was overcome with emotion. His family was going to be divided, right? All of his belongings were going to be gone. He was going to be sold into slavery. So, and his wife and his children, and I'm sure he didn't want that. So he's overcome with emotion. He falls to his knees and he desperately begs the king. And he says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And we're told the king had pity on the servant. And he released him and forgave his debt. Think about that for a moment. We just went over how much money this servant owed the king. It was an astronomical amount. And not only does the king forgive the debt that the servant owed, but he also waives the punishment for not paying it. But then we read what the servant does with his newfound freedom. He goes and he finds a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. You guys ready? hundred denarii. Here we go. Again, for perspective. A denarius was a day's wages, one day. So the fellow servant owed the forgiven servant a hundred days worth of wages. Something that could possibly be attainable, Right? And so how did the forgiven servant react with his fellow servant? He seized him, we are told. He seized his fellow servant, put his hands on him, and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And what did his fellow servant do? The same thing he did, right? He falls down, and he pleads with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But the forgiven servant refused and put his fellow servant in prison 
until he should pay the debt. Unlike the king, he did not forgive his fellow servants' debt. And he sure didn't waive the punishment. In fact, he ensured that the punishment would be carried out against his fellow servant. We're told that the other servants saw the way in which he treated his fellow servant. And I'm sure they all knew how the king had handled him, right? They saw it. They saw him have that meeting with the king, and the king forgave him, not only forgave him of the debt, but they also didn't punish him. So these fellow servants, they see what happened. They see that interaction. They see how the king handled it. And we're told when they see the way the forgiven servant handles his fellow servant who owed him money, they were greatly distressed. And so they reported what had happened to their master, the king. And he summons the forgiven servant back. He says, come back. And here's what he calls him. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers or in some translations, the torturers, until he should pay all of his debt. As Jesus finishes telling this parable, he ends with this powerful statement. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. A powerful and somewhat hard to swallow statement by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's unpack it a bit. In the parable, we see the interaction between the king and the first servant. We see the king have mercy on his servant. And then by doing so, he not only cancels the enormous financial debt that was owed to him, but he also cancels the punishment that the servant deserved. And then we see the forgiven servant and the way in which he interacts with his fellow servant. There was no mercy. There was no canceling of debt. There was no canceling of punishment. The mercy that was extended to him, he refused to extend to others. And so when the king reacts in the way that he does, punishing the wicked servant who had been forgiven, Jesus tells us that his father, our heavenly father, will do the same to us if we do not forgive from our heart. So what does that tell us? What does that tell us about how Christ views the act of forgiveness? It tells us that he places a very high value upon forgiveness. I would say higher than we can even fathom in our flesh. He places that high value upon forgiveness as part of his disciples' lives. This is supposed to be a prominent feature of our lives if we follow, if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. When Peter initially asked the question, he attempted to place a limit upon the number of times we are required to forgive. And when Jesus first answered Peter, he gave a numerical answer. And that numerical answer may, sound, may have sounded somewhat nonsensical because 
Who's going to seriously calculate that? Even if, even if you're going to do 70 times 7, however you're going to calculate, who's really going to do that, right? So it sounds somewhat nonsensical. But in his parable, he further explains how in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, of which we as followers of Christ are a part, forgiveness is to be handled. The example he provides of the king is in fact an image of himself. You see, our king is Jesus. Our king canceled the debt of sin. And our king not only canceled the punishment that we, <laughs> that we deserve, but he took it upon himself. He took it upon himself when, when he was stripped naked, he was beaten, mocked, they tried to humiliate him, and they nailed him to a cross and raised him for everyone to see. We talked about a debt that was insurmountable, a debt that required payment, a debt that required punishment. The debt that Christ paid for us on the cross far surpasses any financial debt that anyone could accumulate. The sin of the world. The debt that required payment through punishment, or better yet, sacrifice, was placed upon him. The mercy we receive from God the Father is because of the work of Christ the Son. And we are asked, and we're not asked, we are required as his disciples to extend to others the same mercy and forgiveness that he extended to us. So when, Paul, when Peter asks if there's any limit to the forgiveness we are to extend, the answer is no. I enjoy uh, listening to podcasts. Anybody else like listening to podcasts? Uh, uh, yes. Oh, hey, hey now, got some podcast listeners. Awesome. All right. <laughs> I enjoy listening to them. My wife, not so much. Um, I usually listen to them either when I'm at the gym or in the truck. My wife always tells me she doesn't want to hear people talk, so we usually listen to mu music when we're together. But I, I really like the long-form interviews, I don't know, I, this format where, where the interviewer will sit down with the interviewee, and, and I mean, they'll just carry on for a, a long period of time. And, and, and recently, I listened to this one that, and I, and I, also, and I don't say this to be boastful, but I've, I've adjusted my listening to listen to it at like one and a half to two times speed because they are so long. And the one I listened to recently was four and a half hours long. Now, I didn't one and a half, two hours. I mean, you're still t two hours, you know? So it, it is a lot of listening, but, but I do enjoy, enjoy listening to these, these long-form podcasts. And, and one recently that I listened to, um, there's a gentleman named Sean Ryan. I don't know if many of you know him. You may not. He's, he's pretty big on the, on the podcast format. But he has a, he has a Sean Ryan show. He's, he's a former U.S. Navy SEAL, former CIA contractor. So he interviews a lot of people with military backgrounds. And there was a recent interview that he did that stood out to me. And it was with an individual named Victor Marks. Um, this is the way he introduced Victor. He said, my next guest has the most traumatic childhood story that I've ever heard out of anyone I've ever spoken with. And the miracle behind this story 
is that he was able to pull himself out of, the, out of that trauma. He found the strength to do that, and now he's saving kids all over the world, saving kids from ISIS, saving kids from being trafficked. It's amazing. It is a story that brings a lot of hope and proves that no matter how much trauma you endure, you can pull yourself out of it. Pretty compelling, isn't it? The interesting thing is this, <clears throat> is that Victor Marks, throughout the entire podcast, four hours, right, never gives himself credit for pulling himself out of that trauma. Throughout the entire podcast, he gives all of that credit to God. Part of what I appreciate about Sean Ryan is, is his ability to ask probing questions and to be able to get answers, some precise answers. And he's, he's familiar with the military, so a lot of times they can identify. He and the person he's interviewing, they can identify with each other, similar language. But he asks probing questions, and, and throughout this interview, he's, he's asked, asking Victor about his childhood at the beginning. And Victor details heinous, and I mean heinous, almost unspeakable abuses that he suffered as a child. Sexual, physical, psychological. And he suffered these abuses at the hands of many people, but primarily the main person that abused him from the ages of three and a half to seven was his stepdad. I won't share what the acts were because, as I said, they were so heinous that I don't even feel comfortable sharing it from the pulpit. But at one point in the interview, you come to find out that Victor is a former U.S. Marine. But at one point in the interview, I would argue the most compelling part of the interview. After detailing many of these abuses, Victor says this, and it's a decently long quote, so I'll make sure that you know that it's still his quote and not my own words. He says, to make sense of it all, that's why we have to talk about the spiritual realm. But also, and this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Again, this is Victor speaking. And it's probably been the most important. I tell people, again, Victor, I tell people I love weapons from wanting to be one to use them. But the best weapon I've ever used for my soul is forgiveness. He goes on and says, and we have to define it. We as a culture don't really know what forgiveness is. Then he provides a definition. He says, he says, the best definition I can give is forgiveness is giving up your right to hurt someone back for hurting you. I'll repeat it. I think it's an imperfect definition, but it's close, it's close to the right definition. He says that the best definition he can give is, forgive, is forgiveness is giving up your right to hurt someone back for hurting you. And again, the reason that I say I partially and somewhat agree with Victor, I don't think it's wrong. I think it just needs some fine-tuning. If we go back to what we touched on earlier, forgiveness is letting go. It's letting go of the bitterness, letting go of the wrath, the anger, the clamoring and slandering. And what Victor is describing here, it's letting go of the desire of vengeance. Victor would go on to talk about the hardest person he's had to forgive. And believe it or not, he said that person was his stepfather. He said it was when his stepfather was on his deathbed much later in life, 
that Victor felt led by God to read scripture to him. And Victor told him in his deathbed, told his stepfather, because his stepfather knew he was dying. He said, you know you're dying? And that according to scripture, you're going to hell because you've rejected Christ. And so he read to him about the cross. Victor then details how early one morning he woke up and he felt led to pray for his stepfather. He felt led to pray for him to come to faith and to be forgiven by God. And Victor said the re- part of the reason he felt led to do that is because he knows, meaning Victor knows, how real hell is. He said that is how he knew that his forgiveness for his stepfather was real. He didn't want him to go to hell. He reiterated that it didn't mean that he had to like him or that he would have had to invite him over if he had lived, but that he and his wife prayed for his stepfather and that Victor wept for him. The next day, when Victor went to the hospital room, his stepfather told the nurse that Victor was his son, something that Victor hadn't heard him say. He said that he was proud of him and that he became, quote-unquote, kind of like a preacher and that Victor was worried for him and his eternity, but he didn't have to worry anymore because he made it right with God last night. Victor knew that it was God's love displayed through him that showed his stepfather that he could be forgiven through the very person he abused so badly. Victor and his wife now lead a ministry called the All Things Possible Ministry. Their primary focus is trauma relief that includes rescuing human trafficking victims. Victor's forgiveness of his stepfather is quite the example of what it means to have a heart of forgiveness. You can come on up. I... Uh, I'm going to go off script for one moment and then come back and, and wrap this up. But one of the things that has struck me as I've studied this and I've had conversations with uh, the brothers in the internship is that we should never underestimate the magnitude of the cross. I think we come to church And some of us, we come to church often, and we see it. And we see it, and it just becomes normal to us, or it becomes regular. And I think sometimes we think, we we under, how do I say this? We, we, We take our own sin life, right? And we minimalize it. We minimalize it often. And so when we take that and we think about it and we think about what he died for, sometimes it almost seems simplistic. But when you read stories like this or when you hear stories like this with Victor and this man who was pure evil, his stepdad, pure evil. And if you get a chance and if you feel like you're prepared, I would, I would suggest you listen to the the podcast and you will hear 
the things that this man did to this young boy. Pure evil. And to know that our Savior took that on. When we say he died for the sins of the world, it's not the ones that we somehow in our flesh tell ourselves that's a minimal sin. And they're not minimal. (laughs) We convince ourselves of that. But when we think of what Christ took on, and I'm not necessarily saying you need to do this with your mind, but the most heinous, dark sins that have ever been committed and will ever be committed on this earth is what he suffered and died for. Please, please, please do not minimize the cross. At the end of our text in Matthew, Jesus tells us that we are to forgive from the heart. And so it would seem that the obvious question is, how do we do that? Right? <laughs> We're humans, right? We like to have an idea of how do, we, how do we put this in practice. It's not easy. It's not easy, folks. And I, and I hope that throughout the time that I've been preaching this sermon, that you don't walk away thinking, I'm saying this is an easy thing to do, because it is not. But how do we forgive from the heart? And the answer to that question, I refer us back to the book of Ephesians. If you want to go back there with me, you can. If not, that's okay. I'm going to kind of go through it anyways. Because it's just, I'm going to go back to the text that's right before the text I had said earlier, and including what we've already read. Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. And this is what Paul says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We can only forgive from the heart through the Holy Spirit's work in us. That's the only way. The only way that we can forgive like Victor did and like other people do and like we should is the Holy Spirit's working in us to change our hearts, to change our hearts from stone to flesh, right? Letting God mold us and shape us so that we start looking more like his son. That's part of this walk, is to be conformed into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not an easy thing to do. Don't let anyone ever convince you that it is. If it were easy, we wouldn't need him. We need him. And we need the Holy Spirit of God to work in us. As we're told in the book of Romans, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I ask, do not quench the Spirit. Do not stifle His work. 
allow him to do a work in you that allows you to forgive those people that maybe you or even I would categorize as unforgivable. Allow him to place a love in your heart that's so deep, that's so deep, that the only possible explanation for it is God. Allow him to allow you to let go. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, again, I just, I, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that you do a work in us, that when we come to you, you freely give it, Lord, but there was a cost, a cost, Lord, that was so beyond human understanding that, that God, that you would humble yourself and take on flesh, come down and be, be amongst us, and then be tortured. Be tortured and hung on that cross to absorb the darkness of this world, to give us a chance, to give us a chance to have fellowship with you. Lord God, I ask that that, that change in our hearts that, that will allow us uh, to be forgiving to allow us to reflect who you are to others so that they see you, Lord. Allow your church, your church body, in which you are the head to be the hands and the feet of who you are. Lord, work on us, mold us, shape us. If you don't know him today, I just ask that you come to him. You can be forgiven. He will welcome you with open arms. Lord God, Heavenly Father, again, I just pray for everyone here. I pray for everyone's soul, Lord that it will seek you and it will find you and if it knows you, it will draw nearer to you. And Lord, I just, I ask all these things in your son's holy name. In Jesus Christ's holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us?